Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome. Uh, welcome to the weekend edition of Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I'm Jason Whitlock, your host. Uh, happy Saturday uh, to you and yours. Hope you're having a great weekend. All right, you know what we do on the weekends. We review the conversations that you won't hear on ESPN, you won't hear on Fox Sports, you won't hear anywhere in the corporate media space. We give you the reasons why you should be listening to us and not them. Uh, we started on Monday talking about Bill Cower calling the hiring of Jeff Saturday a disgrace to the coaching profession, I'm not so sure. I want to play you this clip. Uh, the Colts won. Jeff Saturday and the Colts won. They beat the Raiders uh, in a pretty good performance from Matt Ryan and all this. But I want to play you this clip from Bill Cower on the CBS NFL Today show. Uh, he's not real happy about Jeff Saturday getting that Colts job. Let's take a listen. I know for a fact that Jeff Saturday was offered an opportunity to become a head, an assistant coach with the Indianapolis Colts multiple times in the last four years. He declined, citing that he had a TV job and wanted to spend more time with his family. Mm-hmm. I get it. That's fair. I get it. Coaching is about commitment and it's about sacrifice. It's not just a job. It's a lifestyle. <laughs> for an owner to hire a coach who's never been an assistant at the college level, or the pro level and overseeing a very much a lot of candidates that are qualified for that job as we see in Steve Wilkes an opportunity to build a resume it's a disgrace to the coaching profession Mm. and regardless how this thing plays out what happened in Indianapolis is a travesty Mm. what happened in Indianapolis is a travesty and it's a disgrace to the coaching profession uh, Jeff Saturday's 1-0 and after knocking off the Raiders yesterday. Uh, your thoughts on Bill Cowher's thoughts, and then we'll transition into your thoughts on does Jeff Saturday deserve that credit? From a coaching perspective, I kind of see what he's getting at, but Bill Cowher's being awfully naive if he thinks everything in the world is based on merit. No, I mean, and, and a lot of people, he got swamped. I mean, he got absolutely ratioed yesterday on Twitter because a lot of broadcast journalists and professionals said, well, wait a minute, Bill, you never once spent a day in journalism school or broadcasting school, yet you got a job on CBS. Well, you know why, Bill? Because of your cachet and what you did in another line of work. Well, just Saturday is the same thing. But uh, this is where Bill really loses me. Uh, Look, do you think everyone in the world get something on merit and you think everything is fair it kind of reminds me of that old saying from jimmy johnson i treat all of my players fairly which means differently okay now as unorthodox as i thought that move was i get it jeff saturday is an all-time great colt he's also a guy that's kept in very close touch with the owner he was a special assistant or a consultant and he is still in the game of football 
So, look, it's not the worst hire in the world. And, look, the number one thing was playing the Raiders. That's why they're 1-0. Let's be honest about it. It's not like he did a great job of coaching. That had a lot to do with it. But in my view, I just wonder, would Bill Cowher have had the same energy if that was a black individual that got that job? I think it's very easy right now to pick on anyone that's white. And if they get something that's perceived to be some sort of privilege, well, then it's easy. But you know what? Jeff Saturday, again, earned that spot, not through coaching, but because of who he is. And that's the way it goes. Mm. I didn't know you were going to go there. That's an interesting point. I may have to marinate on that for another 30 seconds. Let me say this about his disgrace to the coaching profession. I get it where he's coming from. You, You got a bunch of people that pay their dues break their backs trying to get these opportunities and and what coaches are saying behind the scenes is like oh Jeff Saturday Brown nosed his way to the job he befriended (laughs) Jim Irsay and Brown nosed his way into a head coaching job and 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 Bill Cowher's like hey that's that's never been the way that you get these opportunities You, you work you prove yourself as a coach and, and, yeah, maybe there is a little bit of brown nosing going on. But, again, you pay some dues and then you get these jobs. For Jeff Saturday to simply, oh, I'm going to be a consultant. I'm going to turn down assistant coaching jobs. I'm not going to pay any dues. I'm going to manipulate a naive owner who's, you know, <laughs> a bit of a quirky guy, uh, Jim Mersey is. I- I'm going to manipulate him and get the job that way. No matter how much success Jeff Saturday has, there will be a lot of coaches very upset uh, if this guy runs runs the table and takes the coach to the playoffs. There's going to be a lot of guys very upset about the way he went about getting the job. No one likes a brown noser. No one likes a teacher's pet. No, that, that goes all the way back to childhood. And that's what this looks like, even though he may have some success at it. He, he didn't do anything other than brown nose uh, Jim Irsay to get the job. And, and I don't blame Bill Cowher and other coaches for not respecting him. Well, you call it brown nosing. I call it going off your past accomplishments. Let, let's take a look at the genesis of this. Jeff Saturday, I believe, was an undrafted free agent out of UNC crafted himself into being a good enough player. They played well over a decade. And by the way, Jason, Uh, You talked about how he has no Hall of Fame credentials. I didn't know this. He made the all-decade team. Basically, that's one of the main markers of any guy making the Hall of Fame. If you make that particular designation, you might have a spot in Canton. And then, obviously, he was a guy that kept in touch. And I don't know. You call it brown-nosing, but here's the thing. When you're in television, you have a relatively light schedule, I believe, if you're not one of those full-time guys. Like Stephen A. Smith. He works more jobs than the Hadleys. Remember that old uh, Jamaican family from In Living Color? So you're right. So, But now, Jeff Saturday has to spend at least 12 to 14 hours, seven days a week. So that cushy lifestyle that he had going on ESPN several times a week, that's over now. So uh, unless he was doing that job, like Michael Jordan's been criticized a lot for the way he handles his management responsibilities in the NBA. He's not at the city. He's not always at the facility. But again, he's Michael Jordan. But that's not really the way to do it. And people have criticized them. 
as a head coach of a football team, you have to be the first one in that building and you have to be the last ones out. That, that's the reality. That's what he signed up for. And if he's doing that, you could call it brown nosing. I, I call it networking. It's all in the way you frame this. I don't think it's going to be sustainable. And what I mean by that is this may work this season. The Colts were supposed to be a good team this year, and they were clearly underachieving. And part of their underachievement was the poor play of their offensive line. And so you, you get an offensive lineman in there as head coach, and, I'm t- and again, I know it's the Raiders, and the Raiders' defense hasn't been that good, but, but the offensive line played a lot better. And, and, and I'll even go down to the, they have a backup offensive lineman that started the year as a starter, a guy named Danny Pinter. He played at Ball State. He was like a fourth-round draft pick a few years ago. They had him slated to start. He got overwhelmed early in the season, lost his job, and was scapegoated. I was shocked, important down from their own end zone, trying to get out from underneath their own goal line or whatever. They brought Danny Pinner in as the sixth offensive lineman, and it was just one play. But I was like, oh, Danny's still on the active roster. Good sign. And then I looked at the, uh, the play that he was in on, and he dominated his man. And, and I was like, that was one of the things like, oh, man, their offensive line is playing a lot better. Here's a guy that was struggling, and I know it's just one play, but the, Danny Penner was getting overwhelmed. They were writing all kinds of things about what a dumb decision it was to make him a starter. I, I'm looking back now, looking at that game, and I'm seeing like, oh, he's still part of Jeff Saturday's plans, just like they brought Matt Ryan back into the lineup. And so, again, I think there's a chance this is going to work this year. I don't think it's going to be sustainable over the long haul. Uh, and so I, 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 I'm, I'm glad they won. It's an interesting storyline, but I'm not ready to crown Jeff Saturday just yet. Jason, the reality is this may not work past yesterday. They played the Raiders, not the 2000 Ravens. But, I, you know, look, Jonathan Taylor, the Wisconsin Winnebago, that's the key. He's been banged up. He's not the player he was last year. But if he's healthy, he elevates every bit of that team on both sides of the ball because he keeps the defense off the field and he keeps the quarterback relatively safe and clean. And you have to give Saturday credit. Immediately, he said right off the bat, Matt Ryan, you're going back in. That's a head coaching CEO type of move. That's what he's brought in there for. That's what the head coach is supposed to do. As long as you have strong coordinators, if you have a guy like Jeff Satter that knows the football game and the culture, and he's only there to say, oh, fourth down, we're going to go for it. No, we're going to kick it here. And making decisions like that. And look, if you look at that game plan, it was about feeding the ball to Jonathan Taylor and asking Matt Ryan not to be the MVP he was six, seven years ago, but just be solid, efficient, and deliver several throws. And they got the job done. Also, the way he handled the end of the first half, manipulating the clock, that's, that was good. I mean, honestly, again, they did not play a great team. Let's make that very clear. But that looked like a professionally prepared football team that I saw from Indianapolis yesterday. All right, Tuesday, we moved on. 
You guys know I love to smack Stephen A. Smith and Shannon Sharp around. And so I smacked them around for backtracking on Kanye Irvin and Kanye West. They're trying to get their black cards back. Mm, don't think it's working. Uh, they got an agenda. I go into it. Steve, I'm going to bring a couple of guys into this conversation. Sh- D- Shannon Sharp and Stephen A. Smith. I want to play you some clips. This is what fr- from Shannon Sharp and Stephen A. Smith. L- l- let's start with Stephen A. being critical of Kyrie Irving. Let, let's start there. Let's play that clip. Stephen A. initially being critical of Kyrie Irving. The Jewish community gets to define what is anti-Semitic, what is offensive to them. Mm-hmm. They get to do that. In his world, he's saying no. No, that's not true. Because y'all ain't the real ones. We are. But then doesn't want to back it up when people are challenging him on it. Why? Because he knows what we don't know. Now, let's play Stephen A after the flip-flop that social media backlash has caused. Stephen A is singing a completely different tune. Let's play that clip. America, don't think I have not noticed what you have done. Kyrie Irving, minimum five games. Ime Udoka, minimum one-year suspension. Usually when there's a suspension, there's an end date. I'm seeing two black men here that's got the word indefinite attached to their exiles. I don't like that. That is inconsistent with what we have customarily seen transpire in the world of sports. So when two brothers mess up, it's got indefinite attached to it. But if it's anybody else, you get a, a definitive point which is suspended and other t- and, or, or you're fired and you're free to go work elsewhere, whatever the case may be. But in these cases, you got indefinite attached to them where their futures are left dangling. What are y'all trying to say? Hmm. Uh, hmm. Now let's go to the other minstrel show uh, over on Fox Sports. Let's play Shannon Sharp, his original thoughts on Kyrie Irving. You know, you harmed, a, you harmed a group of people. They are offended by what you said because you entitled all of them. So you're under the assumption, assumption I don't know how many Jewish people are in, the, in America, 8 million, 10 million, 12 million, 13, I don't know, 40. So you said entire race of people, not one or two, entire race of people are bad. Now, if they said 40 million, 40 million blacks, the entire race are bad, evil, is responsible for this, we lose our mind. Yes. Hold on, he did that. Why I got a better brother for what he did? You should lose your mind. Yep. The point here is nobody has any problem with Kyrie upholding African-American um, yes. history and, and legacy and heritage. Yes. That, and, and that was the thrust of what he was trying to do. Right. Unfortunately, yes, it's at the yes, expense sir. of right. several religious or cultural groups. Yes. Right. Yes, sir. Skip. No yes, sir. I'm as unapologetically black as they come. Agreed. I will support mine. Yes. But I also will call out mine when they're wrong. Yes, sir, Skip. I will support mine, but I will call them out too, boss. Yes, sir. That's Shannon Sharp. Skip! Skip! Before. 
He gets bashed by Dr. Umar Johnson. He gets bashed by Louis Farrakhan. Uh, but before any of that, he got bashed by me. Uh, and now let's listen to Shannon Sharp. Because when blacks have a misstep, it seems like we suffer the harshest penalties. It seems like other groups offend blacks, okay. and they never suffer the penalty that Kyrie and Kanye have suffered. A lot, some of us, a large portion of us, is that blacks are bound by shackles. We're held more accountable mm -hmm. for our actions and our words, where our counterparts with cobwebs, they're easily brushed aside. Shannon, he apologized. He or she said they were sorry. Why can't we get the same benefit of the doubt? Okay. Kyrie was wrong, but I believe Kyrie was wrong, but I also can believe the punishment was excessive. These guys all get the same talking points. That's how you know it's rigged. That's how you know they have puppet masters, because they're all saying the same thing. They're all pivoting at the same time. This is why I don't trust any of them. That's why I don't respect them, it's particularly as it relates to Shannon Sharp. I do have tiny bits of respect left for Stephen A. Smith, but, but I, I just can't take it. They're all attached to puppet strings. You can say this, but you can't say this. Oh, now you can say this. And now they, they get out there and they want their black cards back. They're inauthentic. It's a scam. Uh, this thing was so clear from day one as it relates to Kyrie and Kanye. It was a total overreaction. And anybody with a pair would have said it off top, but they had to go check with their puppet masters, and so they didn't. And now their puppet masters have legalized it. Here's your talking points now. Say the punishment's too hard, and now you can go out and play black again. I, I got no respect for Shannon Sharp. Uh, your comments before we break this down in ratings points. Uh, Jason, there's an old phrase. You try to please everyone, you'll please no one. And as you mentioned, what happened was in the beginning, the script was laid out by the corporate overlords. This is what you're gonna say. These are your talking points, stick with it. That's what you're gonna hammer home. Then black Twitter got on them. And so then they felt like, oh no, at that point, then it's CB4. Remember Dead Mike or Euripides? I'm black y'all, I'm black y'all, I'm biggity black and I'm blackity black. That's what they become. They become Dead Mike or is it Euripides? It's that one character. They're black, y'all. They're really, really, really blackly black, blackly black, black, y'all. And it's like, oh, God. Okay, guys, which is it? Which is it? And that's, again, I would have a lot of respect for any of these opinions if they stuck with it and that's what they really felt and they were steadfast, but they're not. There's no doubt about it that the two reactions that we saw in the 180s that they took were based on number one from their paycheck but then from social media. So at this point in time, I don't really know what they think. I really don't know any of their true feelings about this subject. Neither do they, and they're just waiting on someone to tell them. And I do believe it's dead Mike. I just called it up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, I, and I'm, I'm gonna tell you right now, neither of those guys are straight out of low cash. Because they kept it, they, they didn't keep it real. They are not straight out of low cash. Okay, just saying. Uh, so uh, as I break this down, though, in an approval rating, when I when I think of Shannon Sharp's job performance, I think it's very high. He is paid mm -hmm. to put on a minstrel show, and he does it every day on Undisputed. He sits in front of Skip Bay. Yes, up, boss. Skip, Skip. 
Yes, sir. I told you, Skip. Skip. He plays that role to a T. Plays the ultimate ignorant black imbecile to a T. And Skip just sits there. Yeah, yeah. Good job. Good job, Shannon. Good job, Shannon. Here's a butter biscuit. So I give him a 23 in job performance. I don't know anybody playing the minstrel role at a higher level than Shannon Sharp. Wow, that that is brutal, Jason. Jeez. You know, I gave him a 10. I'll be honest. I rarely watch this show, if ever. In fact, the clip that you showed is probably more time spent uh, on that particular program than I've seen in six months. I, it's okay. I, I always think to me on shows like that, Skip Bayless is really the nucleus. Okay. And Skip makes that show go. He's a straw that stirs that drink. Uh, you know, Shannon's a, he's a sidekick. I gave him a 10. I just, I never watched the show to be honest with you. It's almost like it's not fair for me to even grade. I think you're underestimating Shannon's performance and skill and acting ability. Uh, I mean, he, he plays, if they were recasting Roots right now, Shannon would oh. have to be Fiddler. He would have to be Fiddler. <laughs> I mean, who else could play that role better than Shannon? All right, let's go to character. Uh, I don't think Shannon has any. I can't go into full detail, but punch it into Google. Uh, <laughs> Shannon Sharp's got enough issues for a whole human resources department uh, to be overseeing him. I give him a zero in character. Yeah, and not only that, uh, all that you got into, also, you kind of become a caricature based on what you said. He's one of my favorite athletes. I still believe he's the most underrated out of all those Denver Bronco teams in the 90s. He's on my Mount Rushmore of all-time tight ends. I, I thought he was a revolutionary guy at that position with what he can do. And, and to see him now, because he was a great media personality at one time, and he's a guy that's kind of been engulfed in all of this social media stuff and getting into issues, right? I just think he plays a part. I gave him a five. Uh. I used to like Shannon Sharp. He and uh, Tony Gonzalez were great friends during their playing days. Uh, Shannon Sharp's gimmick as a football player, his personality worked then. He certainly was a terrific, awesome Hall of Fame uh, NFL tight end. And I liked him back then when he was authentic about who he was. Uh, he's now not authentic, and so I gave him a zero in authenticity. I went a little bit higher than you. Maybe he does believe some of that stuff, but a lot of these guys play a role. Um, I gave him a five. I, I don't know what to say about him at this point other than, look, he's good at what he does, sort of, except it turns off most of America. I don't – does that show really rate that, – that's the thing that kind of gets me. No. It's like Skip Bayless – it doesn't, and that's the thing. Skip Bayless – was a real numbers ratings driver at ESPN at one point. I thought him and Stephen A. Smith really caught a lightning in a bottle. And quite frankly, I don't think the magic is still there. But we're talking about authenticity. Um, hmm. I, I went with the five based on what you told me. Uh, and is he one of those love the fruit, hate the tree guys? I mean, that's... Yeah, oh, he's definitely yet. love the fruit. I yeah, mean, okay. he is well, definitely love the fruit, and he definitely pretends to hate the tree. Uh, but the reality is he loves both. Uh, <laughs> but to your point, though, you, I'm going to go with a serious point about Skip as a ratings driver. And because I was just in a discussion this week or late last week about 
Stephen A. Smith's show, First Take, which competes against Undisputed, actually is experiencing ratings growth. The additions of Michael Irvin and even Mad Dog Russo, whose stick I don't like, but Stephen A. since jettisoning Max Kellerman, that show is actually improving and working, and they do a lot of silly stuff I don't like, but the ratings and the show is more enjoyable sans Max Kellerman with the show built around Stephen A. Smith and the Mondays with Michael Irvin are spectacular. And there's some other guests that come on there and do a nice job. While Meanwhile, Undisputed is somewhat stuck in neutral or backsliding a little bit. Uh, so wanted to add that a little bit of context. And then so as it relates to It Factor, I got to give Shannon credit because I think uh, racist white liberals, I think, love Shannon Sharp. They love to see him groveling and minstreling and bojangling on that show. And so he has an it factor that white liberals love. They, they love to see black men acting unintelligent on TV uh, and they love it. So I gave him a 15 in it factor. Yeah, I went a little bit higher than my other ratings. Look, he's on a major network. I, I guess he has a profile. He's been able to extend his broadcasting career, which you always thought he knew that he'd have. Um, the most memorable thing he ever did as a player, remember when he put on that Broncos head after <laughs> they won the championship? I said, you know, that's a colorful personality. Um, and he's been able no, to I thought extend it was, didn't it. He, didn't he speak to the camera about call 911 or something well, or no, okay, call yeah, so in the truth? Well, here's what happened. They were in New England, and they were blowing him out in 96. And the Patriot fans were getting on him in Foxborough. And so he got on the phone and said, hey, 911, we got an emergency. We are killing we are killing New England. Please send help. And all the teammates were laughing. And then there's the other year, though, when they played the Falcons in the Super Bowl, him and Ray Buchanan, the cornerback for the Falcons, they were like LL Cool J and Cool Modique. They were going back and forth. It was one of the funniest feuds you'll ever see, but he wore that Broncos head. I'll never forget that. And he used to be a fun-loving guy. Like, you'd laugh at the stuff or you'd laugh with him. Now you just kind of cringe at him. I'll be honest. It's sad to see. But he's still a serviceable big name. I gave him a 10. Yeah, uh, Shannon Al Sharp Tongue uh, is not as good as uh, the old Shannon Sharp. Uh, I agree. Uh, so I've got him at, we both have him at a dumpster fire. Yeah. I've got him at a 38. You've got him at a 30. You got him actually lower than me. You're not giving him credit for the minstrel show he's putting on. Wednesday, we had a little fun. We talked movies, fearless at the movies. We talked about the Black Panther for uh, Wakanda forever. I hated the movie. Shamika didn't like it. Pastor Anthony sort of liked it. Delano didn't like it. Lauren Chin, she was kind of in the middle. It's a great conversation. Take a listen. A lot of reviewers or people that follow this stuff are saying, hey, man, why not just replace uh, Chadwick Boseman? Why not come with a new Black Panther? Uh, and there's part of me that agrees with that. We, I think, didn't somebody that played Superman, they died and they just put it, uh, whoever the actor is, they just found a new one and there's been like four people play Batman, right? Sure. I mean, and so sure. why, did, did Ryan Coogler, did they make a mistake not just coming up with a new uh, Black Panther? I think it would have been really hard to find someone 
who would be able to fill that role. Because Chadwick Boseman, he only had his own Black Panther movie, just the one, but he had other appearances in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, mm -hmm. right? So the audiences had really, so many people were introduced to Black Panther specifically because of him. So I think part of it was probably, you know, there would have been fan backlash regardless of who they chose just because he's not going to be Chadwick Boseman. And I think another part of it was maybe trying to handle that sensitively considering that this is someone who passed away. So I, I personally was all right with them just retiring the character uh, because we saw how upset people have been. For example, um, Henry Cavill has just been recast Liam Hensworth when it comes to The Witcher. People aren't happy about that. So I think what, by choosing to just have the character die in universe, you sidestep a lot of the potential controversy there. Ryan Coogler has to balance Chadwick Boseman's character. Like we, we, people who really appreciated the Black Panther, we saw Chadwick Boseman, not necessarily T'Challa, and they merged. So because he passes, it's like, okay, we could keep Black Panther going, but our image of Black Panther was Chadwick Boseman. So he's got to balance that. And I think he balanced it by using the comic book narrative. I mean, there is the narrative that Shuri comes next. I think if Chadwick had lived, that probably would have been the third movie. Like we would have just introduced it here, but because he passed, we got to make a decision. And this was the, and I think they just honored him in this movie. And so in the comic books, Shuri becomes the Black Panther? Yeah, or the next Black Panther. Yes. That's why I don't read comic books. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Shamika, uh, do you think they should have replaced Chadwick Boseman? I actually like that they honor him in the, the film. I don't know anything about the comic book, but I do think that he is what I thought Black Panther was. So I don't think I would have been open to a new Black Panther. I don't even like the fact that his sister comes next. Now hearing that it's actually in the comic book, I'm thinking now I got a problem with the writer of the comic book because I hate <laughs> that she's coming next. <laughs> I didn't like that. Oh, you didn't you didn't buy a hundred and nineteen pound Black Panther? You you didn't no, buy that? I, I did. Yeah, I did hated I. that. <laughs> and it was just like I had a step, but you know, I, if it's consistent with the comic books, uh, I but guess. That's, but I feel like we should also be able to criticize the comic books because I've criticized things like just Captain Marvel as a character, and I've had some people say, "Oh, well, it's the comics." It's like, okay, it sucks there too. It sucks here. It can suck both. It doesn't mean that it's uh, we can't touch it. And I think the, especially how Shuri kind of came into Black Panther, it didn't feel earned at all. It's like, okay, let me uh, take this acid trip, and then five minutes later, I have super strength. There's no time for me to get used to my new powers. There's nothing like that. It just, it, compared to what T'Challa went through, the buildup of him knowing he was going to be the Black Panther, the, that whole ritual of the heart-shaped herb, it just seemed like everything came so much easier to her. Same problem I had with House of Dragon, relating it to T. I don't care what the books said <laughs> about House of Dragon. Maybe it was a bad book, because it's certainly a bad TV show. <laughs> That's where I came down on. Final thing that I've been uh, reading is people are saying that uh, these Marvel fantasy movies never produce an Oscar caliber actor or performance. Uh, and people are saying Angela Bassett as Ramonda. Ramonda, yeah. Ramonda, the queen. Uh, you know, her performance is worthy of Oscar consideration. Uh, do we buy that? Uh, oh, before we hit, Lauren, you've got the expert, expert opinion. I'm gonna let us amateurs go first. Shamika, uh, 
Did you see an Oscar winning performance there? No, I didn't. And actually, because I like Angela Bassett, I've seen so many of her movies. I would have thought that Tina, when she did Tina Turner, would have been Oscar worthy. You know, I thought that. I definitely don't think that this performance was any greater than her uh, getting beat up and having to pretend like she was still, you know, okay. So, no, I don't think this was Oscar worthy for me. It was just a small part and she didn't really do much in it. Um, I, I, I don't think it was Oscar worthy. I do think that I would love to see Angela win an Oscar. I think she's um, maybe overdue for one, but I don't think that this was it. Anthony? Don't think it was Oscar worthy. Uh, you, you really have to transcend a superhero movie to even be considered for Oscar worthiness from a superhero movie. I think Heath Ledger uh, playing the Joker in The Dark Knight, that's Oscar worthy. Like we, but he transcended the movie in that sense. So this one, I don't think she really transcended the movie. She was all right, but not Oscar worthy. Our expert, please. Well, I think she she was very talented in this film. She She does amazing in her role, but I would agree that I don't think she was given the material or the opportunity to perform what we would imagine is an Oscar-worthy performance. But with that being said, I would love to see the Oscars once more honor regular movies because I feel like now the Oscars are in a competition with themselves to pick the most obscure, the most inaccessible movie that five people have seen uh, so they can show how much better they are than the average audience. It would be nice if once more, because it used to be like that, uh, blockbuster movies or movies that the entire world can enjoy are actually also being honored rather than just this niche for, for cinephiles of, uh, I guess, the most art house drama-centric movies with you know how many gay trans actors now but uh no i don't i don't think she reached oscar performance you know she made me think of uh lauren made me think of a sports analogy that that you're saying the like in sports whoever the best player is on the best team is a leading candidate for mvp Mm -hmm. and and whether i like it or other people like wakanda forever it's done well at the box office and some of these box office smash movies Maybe Tom Cruise in Maverick or whatever. Another movie I wasn't that big of a fan of. Maybe he deserves the Oscar. Uh, you know what? I, I do want to ask one more question that's specific to, to Lauren and uh, Shamika, but probably Lauren most because I'm not that familiar with these movies. Is, is there, generally speaking, in these action or superhero movies, is there a love element? Is there a love story that's tied into these at all because that's completely absent other than the bald-headed lesbians seem to be in love with each other. Uh, But there is no, Shuri's not, there's no man chasing Shuri. You're the prince, you're the black, how come M'Baku or what, did I get that name right? How come he ain't chasing after her? I, I, I I just don't get, but maybe it's, I don't follow these movies and maybe love's not a part of it. That's a good point. They, there used to be, depending on which franchise we're talking about, like Iron Man and Pepper Potts, there was a little bit of it. Uh, in Spider-Man right now, him and MJ, there's a little bit of it. But overall, especially like lately, there's not much romance. And if there is some sort of romantic interest, it's definitely just a backseat to action or whatever uh, plot they're trying to get out of the way so they can have it tie into the next movie. It, it, am I not right? Didn't... 
Clark Kent and Lois Lane, weren't they mm-hmm. romantically? Or there certainly was something there. So again, that's when I think of superhero movies, it's like Clark Kent Superman's doing all this because he loves Lois Lane or that's part of his motivation. Again, I right. go back to Top Gun success, uh, Tom Cruise's character, both in both movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, what There was no love other than, you know, unless you'd like to see I'll leave it alone before I <laughs> let me uh thank you Shamika. Thank you, Lauren. Uh Anthony's gonna stick question? around with us. Can oh, I go ask ahead. Yeah, and Anthony. Um, the domination of the women, is this also in the comic book? Because that's one of the things that I hated <laughs> as well. And I'm seeing all of these men run around like Wakanda forever. And I'm thinking, well, in Wakanda, you're a bitch. What are you celebrating? <laughs> well, is this like what the comic book actually teaches too, that the women dominate and the men are just uh, like idiots or, you know, submissive? No. <laughs> okay. That's not consistent with the comic books? Not not to the degree that they put. That was one of my disappointments in this movie. They pushed it so far. There was a lady uh, that as soon as the movie was over, she says, where were all the men? Mm-hmm. Like, they were absent in this movie. They, there was more of a manly presence in the first Black Panther and in uh, Endgame, if you count that. Or, but, but this was like, men are absent uh yeah and you haven't read uh, you don't know the comic i guess lore behind this but i feel like if you did it would really frustrate you riri williams okay the uh mit student who's in this they don't give her the name in this movie but she actually plays a character called ironheart who in a lot of ways is the successor slash replacement to tony stark's iron man So even her presence here, it's kind of, I guess, undermining the idea that we have all these male superheroes because now Black Panther is a woman. And in a lot of ways, you might say that Iron Man is a woman because she's his replacement kind of with you kind of saw it with the suit and her being tech, but they didn't introduce her as Ironheart. Iron Man is a woman. Successor. Successor. Yeah. Is Riri Williams. And Riri Williams is who played MC Lightweight on this one. That, that, that's a reference you may not get. There was a rapper that called MC Light. Yep. This was MC Lightweight. They, mm-hmm. they, they come over to America. This is, and I'm, I'm foreshadowing where I'm going in these future conversations about, but they come to America to find this teenage scientist mm-hmm. who's profane, comes off as ignorant, hip hop. Oh, really? MC Light, the, the rapper, is the, the, the black scientist in America? Where? Where in America is that the case? Again, I know some really smart young people, kids, or what, they're nerds and bookworms like everybody else. They're not profane. I walked out of the movie the first hour just because the, the female thing was over the top, and then when they come over to America, and it's like, oh yeah, we're looking for this uh, hero. Uh, that's made this machine. And I was like, oh, it's a black kid. Oh, it's a woman. <laughs> and, and she's profane, probably smokes weed. Uh, she's, you know, selling homework to everybody. And it, it's like, uh, they just, it, I didn't like the movie. Thursday talked a little NBA action with Steve Kim. Draymond Green, has he finally destroyed the Golden State Warriors? And there's rumors that LeBron James, uh, 
might be headed to the Phoenix Suns. Mm. Steve Kim slapped LeBron and Draymond. Take a listen. Let's jump over to the NBA, the association. Mm. Uh, something very interesting going on in Golden State or at Golden State or in the Bay Area. I, don't, I think they play in San Francisco now. Uh, that's where their new arena is. Golden State Warriors are six and nine. They're, mm. you know, if there wasn't so much attention being paid to uh, the collapse of the Lakers and LeBron James and Russell Westbrook coming off the bench, I think a lot of people would be talking about, and a lot of people are, but there would be even more conversation about what's going on with the Golden State Warriors. I saw comments yesterday from our last night. Uh, Steve Kerr, they lost again uh, last night. Steve Kerr, they lost to the Suns. Got, got beat up pretty good. And, and Steve Kerr says that everybody's lining up to kick their butt. Everybody wants revenge on Steph Curry and the whole dynasty uh, that they have at Golden State. And, and they're just not ready for it. My question is, did Draymond Green and that punch kill the Golden State Warriors? He's already, he cost them a championship against Cleveland five, six years ago with some stupidity. And now he may have killed this entire dynasty and franchise. He, he cut a big fart in the room that they can't get the stench out of there, in my opinion. And that's why they're off to such a slow start. Let's watch this video of Draymond talking about the punch uh, four weeks ago. I actually woke up to the video. Um, once I woke up to the video, I don't know if the, the dynamic necessarily changes or not because you never really know people's opinions right away. Uh, so you get at a time, you know, you give it some time to allow people to throw their opinion out, which quite frankly, I don't care about people's opinion. And to be totally honest with you, I never really knew how much it blew up because I don't really, I don't spend much time like searching Instagram or looking through comments. I don't spend much time, I don't read, really read many tweets at all. And so I was just at home chilling with my children. If you want me to be honest with you, I still don't know how much the world may think it blew up. So Steph Curry has 50 last night, 50 points, and they lose to the Phoenix Suns by 11. Why won't I, this won't click on. I, Jordan Poole last night, 0-5 from the field. Mm. I can't seem to get to his. But anyway, Draymond punched, as everybody knows, Jordan Poole, blackened his eye. Jordan Poole's headed for this big contract, and and I just think the chemistry on this team is way off because of Draymond Green, and this may last all season. Yeah, Draymond the Hitman Green, did he punch <laughs> the game out of Jordan Poole? By the way, that video with, the, with that music, is Draymond trying to paint himself as the victim? I mean, for, forget the fact Jordan Poole got hit, but... He's victimized because the video came. That is some strange framing, as if somehow old Dre Dre is the sympathetic figure here. Here's the, what I believe. The NBA is a marathon. I think it's way too long. With the load management era, most players do not care about all 82 games. 
when you have Steph Curry and Clay and Draymond and the championship DNA, and to give credit to Steve Kerr, championship pedigree as a coach, I actually would not worry about them. Yeah, they're six and nine, but again, I get the sense based on their history. They haven't won a game on the road all year, Steve. Oh, they have plenty more road games. There's 800 games in the season. Give me a break. You know how many horse races with the, that horses in like 14th place coming around that first corner, the Kentucky Derby, right? That's where we're at. I unless it's this until this is the all step. Okay, if we're around the All Star break in somewhere what mid February and they're hovering around or below 500, then I'll be concerned. But I'm just saying in a seven-game set, when a focused team comes together and if Jordan Poole can mentally get right, who really beats them out of the West? Because the Celtics look really good. But I'm just saying I, would, I wouldn't I would panic. I think it's way too early right now based on the recent history of that franchise. Steve, they lost a game last night where Steph Curry had 50 points. Happens. 50 points. Again, Phoenix Suns won by double digits on a night when Steph Curry had 50. I I just can't. I don't know the stats. When Steph Curry erupts for 50, them getting blown out, handled by Phoenix, particularly when they're not, you know, they're they're struggling and trying to uh, reignite things. Obviously, Steph was trying to reignite things last night, and they couldn't get it done. Sometimes, you know what? I can't believe you didn't go here with the analogy, but that punch may end up being like Marshawn Lynch not running the football on 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 that fourth down play or the uh-huh. Super Bowl play where they throw the interception, and and that's the stench of that stopped Seattle from ever being what Seattle looked like they were going to be a dynasty, and and this punch. Obviously, Golden State already is a dynasty, but this punch may have ended that dynasty because I always thought there was more to the Golden State Warriors than just their talent and shooting ability. It's how much they enjoy playing with each other. There was a special chemistry with that team that may be missing now. You know, that's actually something that has some validity to it. I would love to see the inside the mind of Jordan Poole and what he really thinks. Because he's in a tough spot. He cannot spout off anything more than cliches about, oh, we got to stick together. No, we put it. I, I would guarantee in the back of my mind, he probably hates Draymond, thinks he's a bum, thinks he's a cheap shot artist. And you're right, there's probably a lot of tension. So let's say this thing lingers. It's not a trend. This is what they are. I got the perfect solution. Bring back KD. KD's always looking for a way out. Things aren't working in New Jersey. KD, you could be the second or third banana. You can once again eat off of Steph Curry's plate. It's all good. New Jersey, that worked out to be a disaster. Voila. Call me the Asian Jerry West. I got it. I solved everyone's problem. There it is. All right, uh, Asian Jerry West. Let's flip that (laughs) to LeBron James and rumors that the Phoenix Suns are perhaps interested in trying to figure out a way uh, to get LeBron to Phoenix, or maybe LeBron's trying to figure out a way to get to Phoenix. He's trying to get out of L.A., get away from Russell Westbrook, get away from Rob Palenka, get away from the always injured Anthony Davis. Would it be a bad look if LeBron James 
exited the Lakers for the front-running Phoenix Suns to go play with Chris Paul, would that be a bad look for LeBron James? Another bad look for LeBron James. All right, well, first of all, you know how you spell Lakers right now? Uh, 10 L's and 3 W's. Uh, That that framing is very interesting. As if we as the Laker nation, yes, and I know I'm a Laker fan in hiatus, as if we don't want to get rid of him. In the immortal words of uh, Diana Ross, set me free, why don't you, babe? I'm seriously, if, if that is the resolution that we have, that we could literally get rid of LeBron, and the circus that's going to come with him wanting to play with the son, I would do that immediately. I think you that framing is completely incorrect. LeBron wants to get away from us. No, 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 no. We want to get away from LeBron. Please let this happen. We'll take him for a couple six-packs of Coors Light and some Camel Smokes. Give me a break. Good. I, that, that's right. almost, I hope that happens. I get it. As a Laker fan, you'd want that to happen. I want you to step into LeBron's shoes, who's worried about his legacy, uh, thinks he's in some kind of competition with Michael Jordan. If he left again for another top flight team like this to, you know, go play with Chris Paul and Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton, would it be a bad look for LeBron? Take your fandom yes. out of it. Would it be a bad look for LeBron? Absolutely, because now, now he's just trying to basically win another title by taking shortcuts. Look, there's always been that question about that super team that he put together in Miami alongside Chris Bosh and Dwayne Wade. Then even the Lakers title, there's an asterisk towards it because it's a bubble and, and, and the league seemed to make some concessions there. I, let's say this does happen, and led by that young cast of really talented players like Devin Booker, they win a title. You don't think there'll be question marks on that, but at the same point, here's the issue. LeBron lacks a lot of self-awareness. I'm not so sure he even cares. Honestly, LeBron is about one guy, LeBron. That's all he thinks about because there's been a particular pattern with him from his very first days. He makes a franchise better initially, right? He leaves them a lot worse. It's like being married to Liz Taylor, okay? Liz Taylor had a lot of marriages, but at the end, there's a reason why she got divorced a lot. It comes at a price. Comes at a big price. Yeah. Uh, I do think it would be a bad look for LeBron James. I think it would be just another one of the final nails in the LeBron versus Michael Jordan uh, debate, which I think has been settled for a long time, uh, but I, I don't think he could recover from, you know, going to Phoenix. And look, what, he might be the difference in in putting Phoenix over the top and able to win a championship. But I think between the bubble championship having an asterisk, uh, the Miami deal. It, yeah. I'm just telling people he won two championships in four years. Remember they were. Four, five, six, seven championships. They got embarrassed by the Dallas Mavericks. Look, LeBron's greatest accomplishment will end up being going back to Cleveland and upsetting that record-breaking Golden State team. That's his great accomplishment. Everything else, 
You can put an asterisk by it. Oh, he cherry-picked some titles yep. in Miami, and they didn't really live up to the super high expectations. He got a bubble championship uh, in, in L.A., left the organization a mess, and then late in his career, he went and stole another title with the Phoenix Suns. It's just like, he's going to have more asterisks than championship rings. He, he can outfit one hand with, with rings and the other one with asterisks. I do think it would be a, a terrible look for LeBron if he bails on the Lakers. But, and, and I guess if I had to bet, Steve, I bet he does. I, I bet – I don't expect LeBron to finish this season with the Lakers. Here's the issue, though. Um, would the Lakers be willing to trade to somebody within their division and conference? Not that it matters. But the other card is, all right, but what does LeBron cost you? So, you know, you're talking about this really talented Phoenix Suns nucleus. All right, well, that, that comes at a cost. Some of those guys are going to be picked apart. But, again, maybe LeBron suddenly would feel energized with the much younger, more talented team and games that mean anything. But, um, Jay, Jay, I'm going to say this once again. In L.A., we are now a full month into this NBA season. I have never felt the apathy – or downright antipathy towards this franchise than currently that is being felt right now. It's really amazing, to be honest with you, how much we don't care about our most beloved franchise. Because if you go back, starting with Magic Johnson's first year, 79-80, they have won by far the most world championships and right now, we don't give a damn about it. I've never thought I'd see this day. Friday, we ended the show on a very fascinating uh, moment, highlight. Larry Johnson, former NFL star, joined the program. Larry, I've known since his playing career in Kansas City when he was a big star. Uh, he's now one of the more interesting people I follow over social media. He's got a take on the whole black Hebrew Israelite deal. He and Bryson Gray unpacked it uh, together. It was a fascinating end to a great week of Fearless with Jason Whitlock. Take a listen to me, Larry Johnson, and Bryson Gray talking about the Israelite issue. So, Larry, I want your thoughts today on what you think of what's going on with Kyrie Irving and Kanye West. Uh, I'm someone that uh, particularly as it relates to Kyrie Irving, and to a lesser degree, and still do, I, I champion Kyrie and Kanye. Uh, I, I think particularly as it relates to Kyrie Irving, his religious freedoms are being violated. Uh, this man has done nothing wrong. And, and I think the media has sensationalized Kanye West's uh, comments so that they actually don't have to deal with what he's saying. They've sensationalized, oh, he's anti-Semitic. We don't even have to deal with that. Uh, I, I have, I don't think these guys are all right, but I do respect the fact that they're inviting and creating the space for a, a necessary conversation. I'm wondering what's your take as you watch what's going on with Kyrie Irving and Kanye West. Uh, it's interesting because, yes, what they say or some of the things that they've said have been the truth. But it, people go past that and don't understand that there's a lot 
more to this story than meets the eye. You have to have a controlled opposition. You have to have someone that will stand for something. But when it's time for push comes to shove, you have to show them being remorseful. And this is not the first time Kyrie Irving has done this. He came out and said the earth was flat. Then they got him on about that. Then he changed his, his position and said, oh, the earth wasn't flat. I was into conspiracy theories. Now we move on to this black Jew Israelite um, thing. Now it's he, he says what he needs to say, which is, I posted the video, this was on the video, and then he backtracked and said it was anti-Semitic. They have not yet provided any information within the video that shows what information that was presented that is anti-Semitic. So now, because of the sports arena is such a controlled environment, not like what Kanye West is doing, because everything is you know all over the place, but when you have a controlled environment such as sports, you have to jump on harder, because there's a lot more players, a lot more black players that needs to see a system of control that you can't say what you want. And these are the penalties of saying what you want. So I think in the arena of sports, they're going to come down harder on Kyrie because he's much more than just one black uh, basketball player. This speaks to black players in baseball, black players in football, black players in soccer and, and any other sports that's here. And that's what they have to make the example. They have to make the example louder for Kyrie so everybody else can fall in line. Larry, one of the things I've argued over the last few years and probably even felt back in the day when you were playing is that there will never be another Muhammad Ali and likely never another Jim Brown because the athletes are so immersed in the corporate environment. They have so many corporate puppet strings on them. There's too much financial pressure. It's too easy to control them. And those athletes from that previous generation, Jim Brown, Muhammad Ali, they didn't have those corporate ties and that liberated and freed them. Do you, do you see that as well? Of course. I, I still watch those old school 70s black exploitation films with uh, Jim Brown being gunned. Uh, I, I, when Jim Brown, his last year, and Art Modell, oh, he always talks about this story. Art Modell told Jim Brown he better come back. And Jim Brown said, I'm not coming back. And then left and went to Hollywood and had a, a successful career as an actor. Like other players are able to do that. Muhammad Ali was able to do that. Uh, Bill Russell and all those guys were by themselves. You had phenomenal black athletes or black leaders in sports side to side. And now they don't want that. They can't have that because it messes up money. Like you said, the corporate ties. Then you have religionists uh, involved. You have other people's religions that you don't know about that's high behind the scenes. You have those religions involved. So everybody has their hands on these particular players because they're a moneymaker. And you cannot have, uh, you know, dissent entangled with where you have your money or where your money flows. Larry, uh, back during your playing career, you were socially, con you were closely connected to Jay-Z and Rockaware and, and, and all of that. I, I would like, what is, what was your relationship with Jay-Z and the whole Rockefeller deal? And what do, how do you view that time and Jay-Z now? Uh, I viewed it, it was a great opportunity for me because at that time, Reebok wasn't messing with me. Nike wasn't messing with me. I was kind of like the black sheep of the NFL, as as much as you know, in Kansas City. So it was, became a deal where I had a clothing store and we were selling rocker wear. And then I just gotten closer just by chance 
of you know meeting Dame Dash first, and he signed with he signed me under his athletic label, Team Rock, and then then that's how I met Jay Z. So now after Jay Z and Dame split, I went with Jay to be with Rockaware, and then I signed the deal uh, for S Daughter cleats when he had his cleat, and I wore his cleats. I mean, I it was a good business situation because I, who wasn't a fan of Jay Z in the late '90s, early 2000s? Everybody pretty much was, uh, but now. I see it. It was strained because I kept being arrested. I can't tell you how many times he he emailed me and told me to stay out of the clubs, but I wouldn't listen. So I so we had to part ways because of it was an image problem. Now that I shut myself down and was gone out of the media for like five or six years, I came back and started digging and found out who he really is and why he says the thing that he says and who his allegiance is with. And I don't have any beef with him, but because of my strength and spirit and strength with the word, we happen to be you know, budding frenemies or enemies. And that's just the way it is. I have nothing against him, but what he stands for, I see much more than just, you know, raps on lyrics. Walk me through, uh, you, you, you said something interesting that Jay-Z, though, during your playing career, was actually giving you good advice. Yes? Yeah, I, <laughs> I still remember the time. I, it was, uh, I think, the last incident in Kansas City uh, before I got uh, traded, uh, you know, released. Uh, he told me, email me mad he cursed me out really he cursed me out telling me to stay out the effing clubs and he said i can't i can't vouch for you if you're going to keep getting in trouble and i understood that and it mind you i still didn't listen because my involvement i mean my evolution at that time was very stagnant so i was really going with the flow i didn't know where i was going to end up i didn't know what i was going to do for my future football is all really all i knew and it took me to lose everything to really build myself back up to find out what things really are. That's why I have no real animosity to Jay-Z, Beyonce, and my time at Rockaway. It was a, truly a blessing and a learning experience. And I got to see things that I'd never seen before. But, but now, I, because I had those experiences, now I'm able to shed a deeper light because I've been around them before. So my words now, when I'm standing in truth, are ringing louder than I would at my time for Rockwell because I stand for something completely different now. And so as best you can or as, as comfortable, what do you think Jay-Z stands for now? Well, it's obviously they've been controlled by Satanism. I mean, I'm not really scared to say that. We all know Luciferians, Freemasons, and all occult knowledge that, that was drugged up from Egypt have now surfaced itself in American society. And if you actually dig through the raps, like as I have, before it was all about partying and popping bottles. But when you listen to it again with a new ear, obviously they're not serving the same most high God that I am. And that's what makes us enemies, that I stand for a completely different doctrine, a completely different nation, and a completely different truth than he does. I don't have any materialism attached to my spirit or soul anymore. I don't have uh, fornication attached to my spirit anymore. I mean, I'm, I just got engaged July. So my life is completely different from how I was with women in the early 2000s. And I think that is the, the difference in itself of being evolved with Rockaware has made me see something completely different and knowing who his allegiance is with is not the most high God. And we all know, you know, Satan rules this realm. Do you, th and, and again, 
I don't want to get you off into speculation world. You've had dealings with Jay-Z, you've studied that. But do you think that's the case? And you can pass on this question if you don't want to speak on it, but do you think that's the case with all of the hip-hop, commercial hip-hop music industry? I mean, if you know who owns and runs the hip-hop industry and entertainment industry, it all funnels itself down. It's like a pyramid scheme. Whatever materialism, uh, murdering, and you know debauchery amongst specifically black Americans, you see that coming from somewhere. If you just follow the money and who runs these companies, you know exactly who's pulling the strings and making sure it's only this particular type of brand of music and entertainment that's for destroying the lives of black Americans. Unbeknownst to them, because it sounds good over a beat, it's being destroyed. It's a frequency or a vibration that's being let out by those type of puppets, Jay-Z, Kanye, and all them, that they have to stand for it in their good standing of being, quote-unquote, billionaires. You put Kanye in the same lane as Jay-Z. Uh, you got to. If I can see a picture of uh, Jay-Z at a Prince Hall Freemason uh, meeting, you know, since Kanye looks as Jay-Z as his bigger brother, they have to be right next to each other. They wouldn't share the same space or the same stage if Jay-Z was a Freemason and Kanye was, quote unquote, a Christian. It would never happen. It's a reason why somebody owns those platforms that they dance and sing on. And those platforms are owned by a, a specific religion or a specific uh, doctrine that controls these two. Mm. So... The other reason I wanted to have you on is because I, I see some of your tweets and I think, and I could be wrong, but I think you have some insight into the Hebrew Israelite movement or, or, or what, and, and I don't know, I'm at, are you involved with that? I can't figure it out from afar, that's why I'm asking you. What is your understanding of the black Hebrew Israelite movement? What do you think of it? Where are you at in, in your spiritual journey as it relates to that? Well, I always, I've told people I am an Israelite. I mean, to me, it's not really a movement. If I can find you two scriptures, that really sums up literally what everybody is talking about. And this is something that you have never heard or you will never hear from Kanye West, Jay-Z, or Kyrie Irving. You won't hear about Deuteronomy 28:68. Everybody knows the Israelites walked from Egypt, but in that specific passage, it talks about how we would go back into slavery in ships. There was no ships to go into Egypt. So where is where is the second Egypt? It's America. Look at all the foundations of America. You got we got pyramids, we got Luxor, we got the obelisk in DC, we got Freemasonry, which is the founding fathers. That they got they took that from Egypt. That's one verse. Then you got Genesis 15:13. Now it says to Abraham that they would we would serve in another nation that is not ours 400 years. Now, who signed the 400 African-American uh, uh, historical act? Donald Trump. He did this, what, two or three years before in his presidency. So to me, it's not really a movement or a grassroots movement. It's just the truth. It is what it is. We have to find out the truth based on who particular race and nation is it talking about in these specific verses. Bryson, help me out here. He quoted some scripture here that this is your area of expertise. What, what do you what do you think of that? Well, he was he was referring to Deuteronomy. Obviously, everybody knows Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy um, is after Exodus, obviously, when the Israelites 
were taken out of Egypt. And in Deuteronomy, he is right that it does say they will be slaves to other nations in Deuteronomy 28, 29. But you have to also understand why. The context is they turned away from God's ways in Deuteronomy 28 and 29. And God said, because you're trying to away from my ways, I will give you over to evil rulers. Uh, you will become slaves. You'll become you'll be given over to confusion and other things of that nature. And then in, in Deuteronomy 29, it talks about how once we turn back to God's ways, we will come back. Uh, my only issue with necessarily the Black Hebrew Israelite movement is um, when you look up like where Abraham was born. Right. It's modern day Iraq. And from every historian I can think of, I could be missing one. They said it was all shades of people there. So to me personally, it's, it's, it wouldn't be logical to say all Israelites were black. But that's just that's just my opinion, though. Larry, uh, you, you go ahead. Nah, I've seen the ancient maps. There are maps that are that have been made that change the biblical locations of where Abraham really is. Abraham was born uh, closer to east of Africa. And if you actually go through the old maps before they change the historical locations, the river of Euphrates, if you go to the old Negro land African map, the river of Euphrates is all the way in West Africa. So that can't be if you're talking about modern day Iraq or the Middle East, if there's there's two different types of location of where Euphrates river, uh, rivers are. If you look at the concentric map, uh, I guess uh, Deverga, I think his name, 1411, he put the concentric rings of all five rivers mentioned in scripture of Garden Eden in the south tip point of Africa. Now, this is the this is information that not everyone has seen. Remember, in order to change history, as mentioned in Psalms, like they will be confederate against us. They changed biblical locations in the maps in Africa and moved into the Middle East so that the era that you know now as Israel, Jerusalem, it was known as Idumea. And that fort that you see that everybody calling it's the city is actually a fort built by Herod the Edomite. So it can't be that biblical city if it once was called Fort Antonia. And that's how my information that I'm finding is different from what the mainstream uh, locations are because it's, you got to really dig through it to find out things were changed. Larry, let me ask you this, and because some of this is new information to me, slightly over my head, it's going to take some time for me to process everything that's saying. But part of where I come down on it, or my instincts are. Explain to me, and I'm not asking this defensively or uh, aggressively, I just want it from an explanation. Why is it important in 2022 for Larry Johnson, Jason Whitlock, or Bryson Gray to, to, to know or to believe or to think uh, that we're the true Israelites? What, why is it important? And I'm not trying to sound stupid. I just I, I, I want to know. Because obviously, if you look around this, this country, this system is imploding on itself. And if you understand the prophecy of Daniel, he was told to seal the books up until the end. Now, look at all the new books that have came out of the scripture that wasn't in the canonized Roman Catholic version of the Holy Bible or the King James Bible. We have been now exposed to new books and new understanding. And it's important for all of us, whether you believe in 
the Hebrew Israelites or not, it is still important for everyone because it wasn't just Israelites that took the covenant of the Torah on the Mount Sinai. They were with other nations as well. It's important for all of us to open our eyes because this system is eventually going to destroy itself. And before that happens, we have all been told in the book of Revelation to come out of her, my people. We, we are right now coming out of this system. I know some of you have to do this for a job and all, but spiritually you can come out of this system. So when the hammer drops down, it'll feel like a bee sting rather than feel like what you read in the book of Revelation of how these curses and plagues are going to attach itself to only those who didn't want to come out of the system and did not want to live by the word. So it's important, regardless of what walk of life you're in, that we are the ones that are telling you, look what happened to us in Deuteronomy. This is what the, the real reason why the Israelites can understand this. Look what happened to us in slavery for being disobedient. Now, you think that that other shoe is not going to drop on those who have other races and nations, it's going to drop soon. And that's why we're trying to waken others up. We're not trying to practice black supremacy or Israelite supremacy. We care enough about everybody else who is either a Gentile or from other nations. We care enough to, to find, have you find yourself and find your soul so you can save it because it's, it's shown through this government, it's not gonna save you. All right, that's it, and that's all for us uh, for the weekend edition of Fearless with Jason Whitlock. Go to youtube.com slash Jason Whitlock. If you're on Apple or Spotify, give me that five-star review. Hit the likes, hit the subscribe. Uh, get your Fearless Army swag, shopblazemedia.com backslash fearless. Uh, we'll see you on Monday, Thanksgiving week. Hope you're ready to get fattened up. I am. <laughs>